This episode is sponsored by Flycode. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 192. 192 episodes, Mike. 192 episodes. 192? Are you like, is, is that the, is that a shocked acting? I'm Should a be like shocked. <gasps> yeah, no, I'm, yeah, exactly. It's that, oh my God. I've always, I've always wanted to do like a, a, a screen or a, uh, a photo shoot of people reacting to real things, but like they do in the commercials. So be like 192, like 192. What a great job! <laughs> and then like just have like, but it wouldn't be a video. So you would act like that and then capture that in stills. That is such a weird artistic thing to think of, Matt. Like, isn't that weird? It is weird. I've had it in my I've brain for it. years I, I, too. I'm down. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Maybe like, you're gonna become a like commercial <laughs> photographer. That would be the biggest like <laughs> career. It'd be a, you know what's crazy about the, that career change too is that it's a it's a career change on a web dev podcast. <laughs> like it's like I'm doing the web dev thing right now, yep. and then it's like oh well, let's just like let's just flip careers. And it's like well you know years later you're on like a show or something <laughs> and you're like hey like how did you like change careers? It's like well I was actually like literally in the midst of producing something for my other career and I was like man. Some big smiling people, like they do in the commercials, having real reactions, but put them in stills would really help help us out. And here we are. <laughs> here we are, 10 years later, I'm number one photographer in the world. <laughs> it's the I journey, it happens. not the destination. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, <clears throat> talking about commercials, stills, I guess. Um, this episode is called Why No Code Won't Take Your Jaws. We got lots of people out there that uh, don't like no code for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons that we've heard about, don't know if it's the most prominent or all that widespread, but it's because no code is kind of like automation for developers. We'll uh, we'll touch on that this episode, of course. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And uh, this was a me, actually, a me-heavy episode. I wrote these show notes, so I hope that you enjoy this. Uh, this episode, and uh, we're going to talk right away about automation. So automation, of course, is not just something that one industry is afraid of. Uh, automation is a big fear in many industries today, and that includes tech in general, not just web dev. So years ago and, and continuing to today, many industries have had human jobs replaced, as we all know, by automation. So speaking from experience, because I used to work in a factory, the factory industry would be largely people. People are effectively cogs in the machine because the machines were not as advanced at the time. This is years and years back. But as robotics have come up, now a robot can pick that thing up and move it to the left. You don't need to have a person pick it up and move it to the left. Stuff like that has happened. Now, programming and coding is something that's sort of brand new. And programming and coding happen on those robots. It, it, it's what power those robotics. And so... Largely, 
at least in my opinion, it's been thought of thought of as a safe industry and specifically safe for a great number of years due to the capabilities of automation tech not quite being not quite being there. There, you know, the, 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 it's not like we have robots that can program themselves super easily. It's not like that's something where like a, like a robot in an assembly line realizes there's some problem of some kind and then adjusts itself. There is some of that, but it's not as say reactive as a human where a human might be like, Oh my God, we have to hit the e-stop or, Oh man, like this is coming out too hot. A robot might have a temperature sensor, but it won't be able to sort of dynamically react, but. We're starting to have this a little bit. So with the advancement of machine learning and related emerging technologies like this, so something, say, like GitHub Copilot even, this is the infancy of developers, say, being ousted by automation, or at least it seems to be the beginning of this. Now, of course, there are still factory workers, and I'm sure there will still be programmers and coders. And of course, there's going to have, there's going to be a long road ahead here. So with these developer level automation tools, there's probably years and years and years to go before these technologies, you know, do anything. You can't just go to a bot and be like, make me the next Facebook and then out comes the next Facebook, right? You can't realistically do that right now, but technology advances really quick. And it seems to be someone comes out with an innovation and then that innovation is built upon super fast. So something like us, like a cell phone comes out and all of a sudden it becomes a smartphone and then all, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And then it becomes this huge thing. So it, it, there's these hurdles that come out. There's these hurdles that, 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 that kind of rear their head or get, get, get sort of, they block technology for a while. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, everyone has a computer in their pocket. Okay. Let's innovate with that. And we, they can, now it's a wallet. Now it's a this. Now it's a game playing machine. Now it's a phone. Now it's a camera. Now it's this. Now it's that. So innovations get built upon once, once these hurdles kind of get, you know, once these hurdles kind of get jumped over, once they, once they get completed. And there's one other thing, however, that many developers also see, okay, as, as a threat to their job. And that is actually no code tools. So whereas these automation tools that I've just talked about, the machine learning and stuff is, is one of those concerns. They're, realistically a long way off or at least a long way off in tech terms right it's not going to be tomorrow night all of a sudden we're all like oh the robot took over my job we're not going to be doing that right but no code tools you know are kind of hated by some people just straight up they are hated by by some people and that's going to be the focus of today now these are not generally automated right no code tools are not automated and what i mean by that is they're not automated in 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 terms of say self coding or a robotics sense right they're not really doing that but they are allowing people to create web apps and websites that were once only understood and created by professionals in the space so you could say it's you know it's either an automation thing or it's a diy thing but the the, the i guess the this the feared result is that these no-code tools will oust all these developers, oust all these professionals, and will have it such that the developers and the programmers are no longer really needed. Now, as with many technologies, the easier to create projects obviously got knocked out by no-code tools first. Things like simple portfolio websites with mostly static content have basically at this point been mastered. It's not like this is in its infancy. Basic portfolio sites, very basic business websites, which are mostly static and have just a few pages. No-code tools have been in this space for a while and have basically actually mastered these type of websites. And slowly but surely, 
This is where people kind of get a little bit scared. Slowly but surely, these no-code tools have advanced, and they've advanced further and further over time. They started adding more advanced features. So in no such particular order, let's list a few of those. So something like email forms. The, now that small business website doesn't just have the email listed and person has to go and email on their own client, they can fill out an email form. Image processing. So let's say something like the user now doesn't have to worry about resizing as much or a UI comes up and helps them resize. How about compressing for file size? Now now the, the software can generate several versions from a thumbnail to medium, large, small, something like how WordPress kind of does, right? Where now somebody doesn't have to worry about accidentally uploading a 30,000 bajillion K image onto their website. You know, WordPress will probably just stop it in its tracks and not upload that and will only allow an upload of a certain size and other CMSs do the same thing. And then it will also optimize them. Something like, say, having a CMS capability. So this is actually a big thing because now a no-coder, so a person that's using this no-code tool, actually has a more advanced version of the no-code tool to make the site and dictate how that CMS works. And then someone who's not tech savvy or maybe it's just a contributing writer, let's say, can control the content on the website. So no-code tools have gotten to the point where there needs to almost be tiers where it's like, here's the no-code creator, here's the no-code worker or no-coder, whatever you want to call them. And then there's also going to be people that are even less tech savvy or they don't need to, they don't need that control. They don't need that power. And they're going to be just controlling the, the, uh, the content with, with the CMS. And then of course, probably the latest large innovation that I can personally think of is, is e-commerce. Now, this is possibly the biggest thing right now as of today and probably why it, it stands out in my mind so much because with all the COVID lockdowns that have had and probably will still happen, e-commerce is huge, obviously, right? Selling online is massive and it has saved tons and tons of businesses. So with all this functionality under their belt, under these no-coder platform belt, and some of these technologies actually fully mastered, and there's going to be more on the way, is no code going to take your job? It it could, you know, it kind of sounds like it. It kind of sounds like it could, but we actually don't think so. And I have five reasons why I don't think so. Yeah. And I think, I think you touched on a lot of the history behind it really well too, because uh, like with the robots and, you know, the factory level stuff being replaced, We'll get into it like deeper, but if you think back, there's certain things that were replaced and are being replaced completely, right? Certain elements of uh, automation of factories, certain elements of stuff that is repetitive task oriented, especially that stuff is being consistently replaced. Stuff like self-driving cars are going to potentially replace um, repetitive task movement of cargo, right? That stuff is going to be replaced at some point in the future. Where it kind of differs in my opinion and where like this is this is from my perspective is as soon as you get away from that rep- rep- repetitive task and you start getting into the guessing work. So yes, AI has come a long way. It can start to guess a little bit better, right? That's why we have self-driving cars even. But I think it slowly starts to fall apart the more complex or even just the general the more general the occupation is. And coder, in my opinion, is a very general occupation. I see a lot of these no-code platforms, these AI tools like GitHub Copilot, as as I just said it, as tools. And I don't know if they're going to evolve much past that in the next, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years. That's, that's how far I see them going. 
there is going to be certain elements, repetitive elements specifically of the job that will be replaced, right? Maybe entering metadata into your, onto your website, for instance. So right, right now you go in, you put it into the head or you put it into your SEO plugin based on what you have on the site, you know, stuff like that. I could see that kind of stuff because it's a repetitive task page by page that being replaced. It's already being replaced by some uh, AI uh, SEO tools for sure. Right. But problem solving, like taking someone's input from the customer and being and having the customer come up to you and be like, I need you to do this. I need you to get, you know, this information from here, from point A to point B in a different way. And I need you to be able to accept, you know, another three inputs from this to then refactor that information to something else. That stuff we're still far away from. Like, I, I don't know. It, that would be really difficult to automate and not have like a development team working on that. That's that's where I kind of fall apart on the argument of, oh, no code's going to take our jobs. It's just it's not going to happen. Like it. At least anytime soon, again, this is my opinion. It's not a fact or anything like that. Maybe there's going to be some crazy platform that comes around like a neural network that can do the thinking for us. But it's that thinking element that is like that's the stuff that we can't reproduce yet. Even with AI, the thinking, the problem solving, that kind of stuff. And I kind of I point to this because if you think back back way back, and this is before even I was born, there was this trend of like the kitchen of the future, right? They were promoting like microwaves as something that's going to solve people having to stand there in the kitchen for a long periods of time or, you know, faster boiling stoves or whatever, or like they were mixers because you don't have to mix by hand anymore. This is like, you know, 70s, 40s to 60s, 70s. But what ended up happening was it just freed up people to do more complex stuff to make better recipes, to make more complicated dinners that were only able to be made in restaurants. So the kitchen of the future didn't end up saving any time, really. It ended up just allowing for more things to be built, for more things to be made, I mean. And that's, and I'll talk about it more as we go, but that's where I see this heading. Instead of thinking about it as, oh, this is going to take our job and it's going to make everything super fast and easy. No, it's going to free us up to do more interesting and better projects. Like think about all the projects that you worked on where you were crunching for time because you had to you know, fill in a list of stuff from Excel sheets. If you can automate that stuff and free yourself to work on security more or work on the more complex like routing aspect of everything, that's what you want to, that's what you want to drive to. So I'm going to pass it back to Matt to kind of talk about the reasons, but overarching all this, think about it as not a threat, but a tool for yourself. And actually, when you mentioned that, that's one of the the hurdles that will that's that's the hardest thing. It's like if I take a really basic example, I used to work in a food factory and I'm going to make up just an example. This isn't actually what happened there. But like hypothetically, you know, there's a there's a robot that, say, literally picks up a muffin and moves it from conveyor belt one to conveyor belt two. So maybe way back in the day, again, I'm making this up, but way back in the day, a person would pick the muffin up and then move it to conveyor belt two. But there would be like maybe a bit of a QA in there where like the person would make a decision like, hey, these muffins are too hot or whatever. There's like a thought process going on and maybe some muffins would be ignored because it's a QA station. So, you know, let's move this guy here to here. So maybe the robot is capable of moving the muffins via having sensors like is a muffin there? Yes. Okay. Now engage my hand. Okay. Hand is engaged. Is there weight on my hand? Yes. I have grabbed the muffin. 
Move it to position two, which is conveyor belt two. Okay, the muffin's still there. Now release. And then there could be maybe some checks and balances for QA, like the muffin is too hot. There's a temperature sensor. Or the muffin is too light or is too heavy. Something like that, right? Again, making this up. But the actual decision-making process is hard. So what, like, what, what has happened in that automation is that it's almost like a programming problem, which it kind of is actually, where someone has taken somebody's job and they said, what is the human doing? The human is checking for the size of the muffin, which is done by weight. The heat of the muffin, is it too hot? And is the muffin there or not to move it? So then they've broken it into a programming problem and created a program that would work alongside sensors like temperature, weight, position. Is it on one or is it on two? Is it even there type of thing? And that's how robotics come in, where they can break down that person's job into these sort of program programmatic steps. And they can do that. But Mike's 100% right in the hurdle is the decision making in the robotics sort of programming problem. Is the robot making decisions? Certainly. Certainly it is. It's checking the weight. It's checking the temperature. It's checking if it's there. It's checking it, making sure it still has it. It didn't drop it. It's making sure it's, it's where it is. Where is it? Is it in position one? Is it in position two? Conveyor belt one, conveyor belt two. Where is it? Right? It's making decisions. But a human would be able to adapt. So what happens if the muffins are burnt? Well, maybe it doesn't affect the weight within the range that the temperature sensor or it doesn't affect the, 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 excuse me, the temperature and the weight. So the temperature sensor can't detect that. And the weight isn't changed enough. Well, a human would be able to see, oh, this is charred. This is, this is burnt. And they would be able to alert a supervisor. So there, there, there's a bit of a, a, of a hurdle there when it comes to AI where the AI has to be dynamic. Like what happens if the muffins are coming out and there was some sort of mistake made and they're moldy? Like for some reason they're old. I don't know how, how they'd be old if they're new, but like somehow they're moldy. Or what if um, these are supposed to be peanut-free and you see peanuts on them? Well, there's nothing in that robot's code that will detect that. Maybe the weight, but how much does a peanut weigh? You know, so like the, there's a human, like there's a thought process. It's almost like it's like sentience or something. Like we don't know, like humans are, you know, we don't understand the brain too well yet. But it's almost like that's the hurdle. And once like the hurdle, which could take 10 years, 20 years, 5 years, 30 years, 100 years, maybe never. Once the hurdle of making it so a machine can make a decision based upon just general parameters and common sense. It's almost like giving a machine common sense. Yeah. Then the innovations can happen. Okay, give the machine the temperature sensors, the this, the that, the this, but also give it a camera where it will be able to dynamically make a decision. Without without external patterns already detected. That's the thing. Like we can do camera decision making right now. We can do if you put in if you put in an AI algorithm for uh, burnt muffins into the camera sensing code, it can detect a burnt muffin most likely. Right. If you put in AI detection for mold, it might be able to detect mold. But what happens if it's never happened before? Correct. Or or has happened once in a hundred years. Yeah. So you don't, you don't like, it's like, why would you invest a million dollars in that sensor and in, in that program? Why would you do that? It's happened once in a million years. What if the muffins are for whatever reason, uh, like the wrong, like the wrong shape slightly, but the hand is big enough. Like the robotic hand is big enough such that it can pick it up and the amount of batter is correct. So the weight isn't changed. And, and like a human would be able to say, Hey, these muffins are not cooking correctly. They're the wrong shape, but a robot would be like, the weight's correct. I'm moving it over. 
So that's like a really big hurdle. And like that gets into the whole thing of like, well, are, are we going to end up making sentience digitally? I don't know. I, I don't know. Talk to a like even Mike said, like talk like there's like the neural network. Talk to a talk to some sort of brain expert or AI expert or something. That's beyond my thing. But if we if we bring it back down here to you know why I do not think that no code's going to take your job. Um, first the first reason here is no code doesn't mean no skill. So no code tools are rather advanced pieces of technology. At the end of the day, right? They they've advanced to the point where they you can actually have bugs in your no code setup that you'll need to solve yourself due to conflicting configurations and not due to bugs in the actual no-code software itself. Those certainly happen, but you could accidentally tell it, my title tag is this, and then in another menu say, my title tag is this. That's effectively a bug, because you're like, hey, my title tag isn't working. What's going on here? Or there's two title tags. It's using the wrong one. What's going on here? That's effectively a bug in your no-code software. And that's a really just one very small example. This indicates, I would say personally, that if you could have bugs in your no-code configuration, this actually indicates that no-code software isn't super easy to use all the time. Hence, the no-code doesn't mean no skill. This can be seen by no-code tools that include both a creator, so for example, the Webflow designer, and a CMS. So again, example, the Webflow CMS, which allows for both a person, and we mentioned this before, but allows for a person to go in there and control the look, feel, and functionality of the website. They can control that with, in this example, the WordPress, or excuse me, the Webflow designer or just the creator, the creating software. And then a non-tech savvy person can just control the content or a person that's only supposed to touch the content will only touch the content. It's not like the no-code tool is just that little content editor and you have to use a template. If the creator, right, if the creating software, so in this case, the Webflow designer was super easy, there would be no need for a separate CMS for content. If it was like a super simplistic thing, short of maybe some like information that you maybe may not want an employee to get, which you could probably NDA out or whatever, right? If it was so simple, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really have this need to have a separate thing. And the CMS itself can get kind of complex. You can have toggle switches and this and that to change how it works. Like these no code tools are oftentimes rather complex. And to, if you think about this, Think about trying to talk to a really non-tech savvy person, person in your life, family member, whatever, friend. If you tell them upload a picture, that might go right over their head. What does an upload mean? <laughs> you know, like literally, what does that mean? It's, it's just gone. People that need to and do use no-code tools need to be pretty tech savvy. They need to, at the very least, understand of, of the basics of their computer that they're using and have skills like collecting proper images, like actually finding sources to download them and not downloading things that are like one centimeter by one centimeter. And it's been compressed 17 times. And the picture was taken on a digital camera. That was actually a prototype of the first digital camera. Like, you know what I mean? Like you get these blurry, really blurry pictures and you're like, what is going on here? So you need to know how to collect the, the proper images. You need to know how to resize them. If you need to, you have to just make a decision whether you need to. And sometimes you might need to compress them for file size if the actual no-code tool doesn't do that. Another one, understanding the basics of web design and how to choose and apply fonts, for example, that create a consistent experience across the website. 
maybe, you know, in general, I would say you don't want every single blog post to have a different font family selected. You don't want to have 1400 fonts all loading and you're like, man, this load time's crazy. Well, yeah, you got a whole bunch of friggin' no, you got a whole bunch of font families loading all over the place. Like this is, this is out of control. So they got to understand some of the basics of web design and, and, and understand, you know, these are your primary colors and, you know, use three colors here and this and that. And like, this is your font family and choose one that uses is that you use for titles and choose one that you use for body and choose one that you use for subtitle. Like there's like a bit of just even just a little bit of knowledge, but still it's something that you have to understand or that they should understand. And based on that, the basics, at least of SEO search engine optimization, you can have a website function great in no code from a technical perspective. Maybe it runs really nice, but you can absolutely mess up. Whoa, actually I pulled my uh, microphone. You can absolutely mess up its SEO without knowing what you're doing. You can absolutely mess up your SEO. Your search engine optimization might go right out, right out the window because you might accidentally put in too many title tags and the title tag that Google is actually seeing is, is the wrong one. And it's like some sort of weird reference that you put in just for yourself, that type of thing. Like it's, it's possible. Like you could really mess that up and you might need some very light code knowledge. So this sounds, you know, counterintuitive. You're using a no-code tool. Why would you need some, you know, why would you need some no-code knowledge? But you might bump up against a limitation of a no-code platform. So maybe you're trying to upload an image that's too big or you're trying to embed something. So that, like that's a common one. So like understanding how to embed a YouTube video that you want in a very specific configuration, a specific size. Do you want autoplay, this and that? You know, maybe it's not so much code knowledge as it is just understanding generally how to like embed tags, or maybe you do need a little bit of custom code in there, or just at least be able to edit the HTML or just a little bit of JS, that type of thing. Like you might bump up against the limitations of your no code and might have to use some custom code, which a lot of no code platforms allow you to use. You might need to know a little bit of that. Like that's a crucial thing. And then with all this said, a side note is, you know, there are certainly some no code offerings that are after you know, or that uh, offer, excuse me, the, the, let's just say, quote unquote, uh, set up your e-commerce shop in one hour, right? So you might be like, well, I, you know, I set up my e-commerce shop in an hour. Like, you know, what are you talking about, Matt? Like, why is it what you're talking SEO, this and that, and the other thing? Sure. Absolutely. But these no code offerings are usually very, very limited in their functionality because they're trying to reach that one hour goal. And so the software itself controls the experience. You're more or less filling in a form a very controlled and basic form that you can't expand. So if you don't like how the image is aligned left, that's too bad in a lot of these types of experiences. Yeah. And I think honestly, like this is a really big point and I'll expand on it a little bit and maybe add another point to this. So maybe it's six points, six reasons, but it's based on this. A person that's going into this like Wix or Squarespace or Webflow CMS and taking a template and putting stuff in, and creating a site, creating experience, it's going to go kind of one of two ways. One way could be that they go in there, they try to do it and they fail because like Matt said, it does take skill and not everyone can just go in and put pictures in the right place and find the right pictures and stuff like that and go through the full process of setting up an entire site just because it's doable from a non-code perspective, like they don't have to go into the code just because that is available doesn't mean they're going to do it, even if they want to. And second of all, it could go really well in the sense that they put everything in there, they get to a point where they they like their site and they put it out there. But like Matt said, if they're not a web developer, if they don't understand the SEO aspect, if they don't understand image optimization, and these, these tools help you 
they guide you a little bit here and there in that respect, but they don't solve it for you completely because like we said before, everyone's situation is different. If they don't know what you're offering, they can't offer you the best SEO advice. So at the end of the day, if you don't know the situation, if you aren't, don't have infinite amount of time to become a web developer, uh, you're going to get to a point where you're going to tap out. So even if you've created a successful site, that's one site that would not have been created before. Because it's my belief that what no-code tools do is they actually allow people that would have never paid for a website. They would have never paid for an e-commerce store to set up for their, you know, figurine business or whatever, like their, whatever they are, they do on the side. They would have never done that. But now they can go in and try it themselves and maybe it has some success and they see a point to then maybe bring in an expert in SEO or maybe bring in a web developer to spruce it up a little bit and make sure everything's standard. So, in some ways, and this, I don't know if this balances out. I don't know if this is a positive, right? A full positive, but I think this does add more development work for the developer. Because if we look back, WordPress is a perfect example. WordPress offered this kind of solution for, you know, the last 10 years or 15 years. Do you think Squarespace and Wix came first? No, WordPress was their way before. With no, like you have a full setup of a website through WordPress. It was a little bit more hands on for sure, but it was still there. And now look at the opportunity for developers to come in and make a better version of that WordPress site. If you look at any freelancer or agency, they have a WordPress division most likely that handles old WordPress to new stuff migration or just optimization of WordPress because there's it powers an enormous percentage of the web. And all of a sudden, these companies that started making a ton of money from their old WordPress site that would never have paid for any sort of development anyway, initially, because they were just testing an idea, are coming into the fray with a lot of money to be able to purchase a better website. And it's all because, again, like, yes, no code makes it easier, but it's not brainless. Like you can't, you can't have zero information. Matt mentioned early that like a person telling someone to upload a picture, if they're not connected to tech in any way, they don't know what the word upload means. I swear like that is a hundred. I know you the people listening to this are laughing maybe, but that is 100% a fact. So it's, it's a balance. I personally see it as a net positive for the industry where allowing people to experiment and to try something without a heavy investment in money and time will allow for more opportunities for developers to come in and either take that no-code tool and adjust it to, to a certain degree and make it better or take it and migrate it to a full you know, custom-built website. Just a quick word from this episode's sponsors. Is the fast-forward button calling your name? We don't blame you, and neither does our sponsor, Flycode, or even the famous psychologist Pavlov. But that's exactly why we love them. They save you so much time, and that's just a perk for them. Their mission is to bridge the gap between technical and non-technical teams. Flycode's platform makes it easy and safe for non-developers like product and UX teams to contribute to web and mobile applications code without actually coding. It requires no code to start using or maintain, and what's unique about their platform is that it's built on top of your existing code base. The latest release is a Git-based editor for product copy, and it even supports hard-coded strings. 
Flycode is specifically designed for web and native applications and supports the most popular frameworks like React, Angular, and Vue. Look, at the end of the day, the backlog for most companies is a daunting site and it's only getting worse. By empowering your product, marketing, or UX teams with Flycode, specific tickets and user stories will disappear from your backlog for good. Their team is cooking up some pretty impressive tools, and whether you're a company of one or 10,000, you need to check them out. They're offering a free trial to our listeners when you sign up at flycode.com slash HTML all. Again, that's flycode.com slash HTML A-L-L, HTML all. And now back to the episode. That's an that's interesting observation, actually, because, you know, there are a lot of people out there that would tinker with stuff. They'll try things out. They'll give it a go. You know, they're like, they're curious. They're curious. Like, hey, like, you know, what, what's it like building a website type of thing? But they're not willing to put in the time to build out a site. So they're, they're willing to tinker. And if they have a business, they have a side hustle or they just have a passion that they want to build a fan site for, uh, they can make you know, a variety of these websites and they may find themselves on Webflow or Wix or Squarespace or whatever. And they would never, like, you're right, they would never have called somebody because they were there just to sort of experience it, found it was easy enough, and then built themselves out something. So it is, it's, it's, it adds like a level of um, accessibility to the platform or not to the platform, to the industry, I suppose, where people can now, you know, play with, you know, website editing really and, and, and make their own, make their own thing. But yet, they'll hit limitations and they'll have to use a bunch of services to get a lot of functionality and stuff like this. So it's like, it's almost like its own little industry, its own little economy. And a lot of the people in there, you know, I'm just estimating, but a lot of people in there may be like what you're saying, like where they're kind of tinkerers and they're tech savvy enough to do the no code tool effectively, but they just haven't done it. Uh, or they haven't, uh, or they, or they would never do the, the traditional route. They would never go to an agency and they've never done it before. They're just there to tinker and then it leads to something. And maybe that's, that's how, you know, it, it their side hustle got started or something like that. Uh, next reason here is the platform is in control. So what I mean by platform is the actual no code tool. So when you're using a no code tool, the platform you're on is ultimately in control of the tool that they provide. If you rely on a specific feature, that feature could be modified or even taken away entirely. An example. Now, this is actually one that Mike and I have hit. So Mike and I have actually hit quite a few weird limitations with the Webflow CMS. One of which recently is I'm writing up a guide or two that we want to put up on our blog and at htmlallthings.com and... I can't underline text in a rich text field. Now, maybe I can embed some code to force it. But when I press control U, because I'm on Windows, which is the shortcut for underlining text that you have selected, it, a little pop-up shows up and says something along the lines of, underlining is best left for links. And so we've disabled that shortcut. <laughs> that's like not verbatim, but that's what it says. That's that's par that's a paraphrase of what it says. And there's other weird limitations, such as at least at last check, you can't nest bullets. So you can have bullets, you know, you press enter, press the little plus sign on the, the, the rich text. And I'm talking about the Webflow CMS again. Click the little plus, you click on, say, an unordered list. So bullet points. And then I want to write like, you know. Step one as as the as the as the the bullet point, but I don't want an ordered list for whatever reason. So I write like step one, and then I want to like 
go down one line to another bullet and then tab in. They can't do that. You have to use like a little bit of custom code for that. And these are just weird little limitations where, again, if you have a contributing writer that needs to have like a really detailed like nested list thing for a reason, and you're unable to do so with like just native functionality, or if you need underlining and these people that you're working with are not tech savvy enough to, in order to put in a little bit of custom code. And I, I still think it's crazy. I think it's crazy to put a custom code for like, you can tell me that you think that one underlines should be used for links, but then just tell me that and then leave me alone and let me do it. That's just my opinion. But again, the platform is in control and the nested, the nested bullet points. I mean, maybe it's fixed now. I haven't checked, you know, super recently, but like, come on guys, like, nested bullet points like this is forcing me to change because i write my blog posts in word microsoft word because i want to have like an archive of them such just in case we have to switch platforms or in case i need a portfolio piece in which i can quickly you know print as pdf from these word uh, documents to send to somebody if i ever needed to do that and i can't do that like i i can't do the format that i would normally do i have to do like I have to format it for Webflow, which I understand there's going to be always a little bit of that with the CMS that you're choosing, but it's like, again, the platform is in control. Very bizarre. And I've talked to Mike about this. Very, very bizarre. Um, there's no there's no code editor. Like, there's no uh, code viewer. Like, if I type in a little snippet, you'll have, um, you know, something that will show up and it'll have uh, the syntax. Like a little, It's like a little, like, embed your code here. And it does all the syntax highlighting, that type of thing. It's like, that's not a native functionality of, of uh, Webflow. At least, again, not at last check. I'm just starting to get back into blogging. So it's like, n- not at last check. That's whack. Like, to me, that's crazy. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Because it's like, Webflow is a great tool. You have lots of different functionality in your CMS. You're controlling the fields. You have toggle switches and all the rest of it. You can control stuff. But then there's just holes in it like that. And that's the platform. When we started with Webflow, no pagination. We had a guy that was writing blog posts or sharing blog posts, whatever he was doing. He was making content like crazy. And his page took forever to load. He's like, what's going on here? I look it up, no pagination. I had to like hack some pagination with tabs for him. Like, that's crazy. What are you talking about? Like, you're a, you're a, you're a website creation platform that has a CMS, which is effectively tailored for blog posts. And it almost sounds like you're, expecting people to write very few and far between articles and then also not have paid like because there's no pagination so only a few articles or only show a limited few and then also only write like only kind of like write full paragraphs and sentences and not have like a guide where it's like a complex i mean as complex it can it's not that complex but it's like a complex list so it's like, you know, with a few nested lists in there, like that would be a complex list to me, like bullet points that have a few nests in there. That's about as complex as those get. And like an unor- an, an, an ordered list as well. So like, you know, one, two, three, four. It's like I can't have, you know, one, like one A and one B and one AI and one AII. Like what's going on here? Now, again, maybe some of these are fixed. Pagination is fixed. Like it's, it's it exists now. But like to leave that out right away like, to you, you might think that's crazy. I thought it was crazy. I think this underlying thing's crazy, and the platform's in control. Yep, the platform. And it's weird because it's like every platform has its things that they control that are going to interfere with your general vision. So it's always one of those, like, is this something that's a game changer? And when we try to sell people on using one of these no-code tools, 
we always have a caveat in there that like we're not in control for a lot of this. So you have to be okay with and we list all the caveats. And if you're not okay with any of those to the point where we like, you know, you need it or like maybe two or three of those, because sometimes like Matt said, you can put in some custom fixes. But as soon as you start putting in too many custom fixes, it starts to become no reason to use the tool because now it's becoming a little bit more janky. Now, like updating it might be a problem. Now, like some, something down the line might break your custom fix because they don't care. Like the platform doesn't care about your custom fixes. They're doing only what what is right for them. So you might have to continually maintain every little fix that you do because they might overwrite something or whatever. So you have to set expectations that, for instance, you choose this template or you choose this this uh, creator tool. This is what you're going to get. If you want something else past that, let's talk about a more custom solution. And that's where, again, you move away. Like the more serious clients start to start to realize that this isn't for them. And they want a more custom, more open solution because the problem that they see is right now, sure, everything's fine. But what happens, you know, six months down the line, they have a new marketing campaign and they need email lists, but your tool doesn't support email lists. Not that that's a thing, like obviously most no-code tools will support that, but it's possible, like stuff like that could happen. And now you're like, well, so I have to rebuild the whole site just to support that. And the the answer some of the times is, yeah, we have to do that. Like if you want this feature that we didn't talk about six months ago when we were doing it, we can't do that for you right now. And again, it's on you as the developer or as the agency person or whatever to set those expectations to make sure that they understand what they're choosing. They're choosing something that is closed. It's a closed garden that a lot of the times you don't have control over. So it's a give and take. Some people are okay with it. Some people aren't. The, the scope creep you mentioned is a really good point because like no code tools, because the platforms in control and because there was obviously limitations to begin with, because a no code tool needs to have a no code piece of functionality in order for you to do it, or at least have be extendable in some way. There's going to be, you're, like I mentioned before, you're going to bump up against those walls, those limitations. And if you have a project that keeps scope creeping and you are unable to control it or tell the people no, and they don't go away, you're hundred percent right. You could build out a site and then all of a sudden be like, Hey, we got to hit the road and then that's it. Like we got to go to another no code tool. We got to go to a custom solution. We got to do some other hybrid where some no code, some not. If you absolutely need X thing and it's absolutely not compatible with your no code platform, you're out, you're done. And that's it. Like you are done because the platform is generally not going to change what they're doing to, to help you. They have a data set and in general, they'll act in the user's best interest and in their own, of course, for profits. And if something is going to screw them out of profits or if something does not align with how people are using the software and they will probably have data on that, they're not going to be like, well, we have this one person that requires you know, 9K images be uploaded and rendered perfectly. Let's build a whole thing for 9K images, as well, the whole piece of function, it's not going to happen. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Next reason here. Custom software exists for a reason. So no-code platforms often have limits. Again, we already mentioned this. But these limits, to be more specific, are on the amount of traffic and pages that you can have. Even on their highest offered tiers, there's oftentimes, not always, limits. And when these limits are outgrown, 
A custom piece of software is often the next step in your business unless you can somehow negotiate with that no-code platform. Some of them will do that. If your business has outgrown a no-code tool, generally speaking, it means that the business is doing rather well because these no-code tools are designed such that successful blogs can run on them because they use successful blogs, obviously, as a portfolio piece, for example. Successful sites, successful blogs. And so if you're at that point where that no-code tool is done and you're graduating out of it, you will be probably changing into some sort of enterprise-grade CMS or software suite that will manage uh, that will that will manage more, excuse me, than just your website content. So, for example, it would be it'll be a CMS connected with an e-commerce platform, connected with a marketing platform, and the list goes on. So that enterprise-grade tool is often created and maintained by a team of developers, and it is almost always not created with a no-code tool. It's not like they made their enterprise CMS with a no-code tool. I don't even know of an example of that ever happening. Maybe there is one. That's why I said maybe, but I don't know of one. And for security reasons, especially if it's enterprise grade, chances are it probably won't be the case. Um, but there is a reason why custom software still exists. It's just that, as you can probably tell right now, it's that as no code comes in, some of the easier jobs, as we mentioned, or some of the easier sort of websites are kind of getting a little bit pushed out of the way, but there's always space for them. But then people are going to maybe start engaging software developers for more complex tasks in general. Again, some people just do not want to touch their site and they'll come to you for everything. Um, and the, I think it's the, oh no, second last, second last uh, reason here. Um, the platform, meaning the no code platform, the no code tool that you were using. It was not created using no code. It's almost a cliche of the automation industry, right? But it's a fact that some people that would have their job taken away by a no code tool may get a job creating that no code tool itself. So it's sort of like in the factory industry, it's sort of like, oh, well, that person that was replaced, they could become a robotics engineer because because robotics are taking off. There's jobs there. So it's almost like a cliche, whatever. And I'm not going to get into the politics of that. That's not what we're talking about. But in general, you know, if we zoom in on the no-code part of this, no-code tools are generally not created in no-code tools themselves. They offer a very specific set of features, and usually it's a totally customized experience in order for them to stand out from their competition, of which there is a lot out there. Wix and Squarespace are probably the titans in the space. But then you also got Webflow in there. You got a bunch of other editors out there. If you ever use shared hosting from a random host and they have one-click installer in the cPanel, there's like a bunch of stuff in there, a bunch of website creators in there. Like there's a lot of competition out there, a lot of competition out there. So with the ever expanding feature set of no code tools, there's no doubt, you know, going to be other tools that they rely on as well. So this big platform might not be a completely custom, but they're going to be employing other businesses as well. So for example, something like Webflow, at least at our last check, uses Embedly when you're trying to embed, say, a YouTube video into the rich t- rich text field. And probably in other cases as well. That's just the case that I've used it for. And I know that it uses Embedly, or at least I know that it did use Embedly because when Embedly went down a number of years ago, the Webflow embed- embedder, whatever, didn't like, stop working. So these no-code platforms are getting to the point where they're, they're, they're implementing so many features and so many, so many, um, 
so many features and so much functionality that they can't reinvent the wheel every time. They can't reinvent a, an image uploader. They can't invent uh, an embed thing in order to keep up with their competition. But also, why would you build it when there's another tool? So these no-code tools are actually generating jobs in their own right, but then they're also generating jobs to other companies. Like now Embedly has a big client, which is Webflow, for example, or or did or does. I'm not sure what the current status is. So like that's one example. And I'm sure that Webflow and other no-code tools, like um, WordPress, I uh, believe, has jQuery in there. Um, you know, WordPress has a bunch of plugins that you can plug in. Like there's like a, you know, a ripple effect as, as there are with many economies, but in this little sort of mini sort of web development tech economy, if you will, there's like this ripple effect where, you know, the platform wasn't created in no code. So there's no, like, that doesn't mean that all developers are just going to be like, oh, like, we'll just use a no code tool. It's like, well, who's going to make the, the next, the next piece of functionality for these ever increasing in functionality, no code tools while well, a developer has to do that. So Again, it's a little cliche, but that is one of the reasons you might get a job at, in our basic example, at Webflow. You might get a job at Embedly. Who knows? Last reason here, number five, your project may grow and change, but that might not align with the no code tool. This goes hand in hand with the platform. Uh, the platform is ultimately the platform. The platform is in control, right? This goes hand in hand with that one. But I wanted to end on this because it's kind of a longer point, and that is, some projects last a very long time. Maybe it's a passion project. Maybe it's a business that it's open for a very long time. Okay. And these sorts of projects that last a long time are often done or done in iterations. So, you know, if, especially if it's a, if it's a, if it's a passion project for like a hobby, you're going to be like, Oh, I want to embed this now. Oh, I really want to change this. And it's been a few years. The design's getting stale. Let's redo it. Right. These passion projects that we're going to kind of focus on for this example are often meticulously put together. And the simplest change to a header may take weeks to finally decide upon. It's less corporate where people are like, you know, sometimes just get it done. Although there is bureaucratic procedures that may take weeks. But in terms of like, if I really want to make a web gaming website, I make a gaming website and I'm really torn on whether to use this font or this font, it could take me weeks because it's a passion project to do that. Right. This like this, I don't know. What would you say? Like the evolution of the project is so meticulous and so specific. And this happens in corporate stuff too, where very specific brands have projects and they have a very particular way they want to display their brand. Or it's an e-commerce platform that, you know, is really driving sales on that e-commerce platform. Maybe their retail store is gone and now it's full steam ahead on the retail side, right? So this project is growing and changing and it's, it's just, you need that granular control. So in either case, you know, corporate, let's say, and passion project, your project may start to bump up once again against those limitations of the no-code tool that you're using. This could be because the project you initially created has changed so dramatically and you want such granular changes that the parameters or the feature set of the no-code tool you choose, you chose when you first created the project, they no longer align with what you need. Your project has grown and changed. And it, now, if you were to have this set of parameters and these set of required features today and you had no website and you went searching for a no-code tool, you wouldn't choose the one you're using because you've outgrown it or you've changed or whatever. Now, this is something else to remember though. The no-code tool is a project in and of itself. It is a project that is run by a company or an individual or whatever. 
and you may feel the effect of the no-code tool being a project in and of itself. An example, if your website is all about really high-end photography and you offer site viewers a compressed preview, of course, for of your images on the web page, so the web page loads fast, right? But then you also want these people to see the like the very best version. So you have a download button that, when clicked, allows them to download a full 4K edited with no compression version of your work. Well, what happens when your no-code tool starts to implement file size limitations or even specific limitations like, hey, you can't use you can't use uh, CR2, which I think is one of Canon's raw uh, file extensions. You can't use CR2 in here. Or, hey, you can't use anything but JPEG. You can't use anything but J- JPG in here. Or even, hey, you can't upload stuff that's over 10, 1080p. That, like your project... You know, you are all about that really like, you know, crisp photography. You want to show off your very best work. Now what? You can't offer that download functionality to your customers. And it's up to the no-code tool. Maybe it's up to the contract that you have with them or whatever, the agreement. Maybe you're grandfathered in on on all your previous pages and such that your download buttons did not get affected. 4K download downloads always work. And now you can actually go and find another data store to put it in and keep using that no-code tool and, and upload your file somewhere else and have the download button linked there. You have time to go and find another uh, tool to use, another no-code tool to use that will let you use it. Like, you have time. What happens if when these limitations are put in by the project that they just they just say all, all 4K images are going to be deleted next week? That could happen. I mean, chances are it probably won't, but it could Again, the platform's in control and the platform is a project. If the if your no-code tool starts seeing a, like the majority of their clientele uploading very small images and they can see the fact that they're spending a crap load of money per client that isn't doing that, that are uploading massive photos like you are, that you you wouldn't have that data, they would. They're going to be like, "We're limiting this. Like we're not paying you know, this one client costs us $3 in hosting costs. This guy costs us $15. they are both on the same no-code plan. The margin doesn't make any sense. No, that's it. We're, we're, we're cutting this, this upload limit. That, that could happen. That could absolutely happen. And that can absolutely screw over what your project is and what it has changed and grown into. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a great point to end on because – if it's a serious project that's generating serious revenue or something like that, where you need uptime and stuff, on the one hand, yes, you give it to the no-code project, the no-code tool, they're in charge of the uptime, but they're also in charge of the downtime. And they're also in charge of if there is even going to be a no-code platform. So in a worst case scenario, and from my understanding, this hasn't happened with any major players and probably won't. But imagine if something like Webflow, Wix, or Squarepace were just to go out of business. What happens to your project that's generating you and your employees enough money to, you know, continue to work? Now you have to scramble. They'll probably give you some time. You have to scramble to create a custom site. So I think once you start to mature out of startup phase or out of proof of concept phase, it's one of those natural progressions that you're like, who owns this? Who's the person that pulls the strings on this thing that is generating all the revenue for my business? And you start to pull back and start to bring everything internal. I've seen it happen on many different projects. And in fact, that's a big source of revenue for developers like us 
Because as soon as a company starts to realize that and as soon as they start to externalize their problems, they start to want to internalize everything because they want to be in control at the end of the day. They want to make sure that the developers that they have are able to turn like like keep their project up no matter what the situation is at the no code platform. And in reality, it makes sense financially for them to do that because they don't know what the no code pricing is going to be down the line. That's the other thing. Like the no code pricing is meant to be a profit for the project, for the no code tool, right? And yes, initially it saves you a ton of money on the development cost. But a lot of these platforms do charge an up, like a, a more expensive monthly fee than a traditional hosting platform, especially once you start to scale. Like talk about scaling. We didn't even talk about that. Webflow has a limit. You all, you, you reach a certain point. That's it. Your site can't have any more. Like maybe you can have a one-on-one conversation with the heads, you know, the top brass there and, and, and extended or something, but like it, their public plans have a limit of how much traffic they can have. So in terms of scaling, that's another reason that you have to, it has to be on your mind that like, okay, I've proven the concept. How do I make it so that first of all, I'm not paying so much per month. And second of all, I can have infinite amounts of traffic or I can have this amount of traffic that I want. So all these situations bring it to the point where like the whole point of this project that although no code tools exist and some of them are great and I, I, I appreciate them for what they do. Uh, it's not something that's going to erase our industry or, or lower the amount of jobs that are in our industry into a significant point. It might just to play devil's advocate, it might stop some of the very high, like high level, I guess, jobs that are the business card site people, the people that created, like, churned out, you know, business card site after business card of just like one pagers that had information and contact page and that's it, right? It might take away from that industry. I, I think it will, right? Because the no code platform has nailed that. Matt said it earlier. They, they've, they've perfected that art. But as soon as you start going down the line, in my opinion, yes, like if you're really good at that and you can't transfer your skills over, you might be boned. But if you can transfer your skills over and you can expand on them a little bit, the opportunities will start opening up for maintaining these no-code platforms, for, for you know, converting them to something else, for transferring information. Because sometimes people will be like, well, I like Wix, but now I want to try Squarespace. There's jobs to be had in that transfer. Like there's other opportunities that start to happen as soon as more tools get brought into the industry, even if those tools are meant to quote unquote replace you, they're not really replacing you. They're just adding more opportunity and allowing you to advance in your career. So you're not constantly churning out boring one page sites, but now maybe you're, you know, in charge of massive e-commerce or maybe you're in charge of more interactive animations on the site or something like that. Something maybe that you're more passionate about. Again, it, it, it does depend on the person. I'm not saying that no code will never take jobs. I just think that it will tra- it will allow developers to focus on more complex and interesting problems, leaving the more mundane and repetitive tasks to the best tool that can do those tasks. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with that. It, it, one thing that does suck, you know, at the end of the day as well is that obviously if you're a person that likes the 
the ease, let's say, of making just portfolio websites that are very easy or sort of your standard five page business card website or business website, as Mike and I would say, small business website, you know, making that stuff is relatively easy once you get a once you get a uh, once you get a sort of uh, procedure down and it sucks to sort of give that up. And, and you know, it, it may be that no code stuff will push a lot of people to have to take on more complex jobs and that type of thing. Um, so like the industry will, you know, change as, as anything is added to any industry ever, not just web development, the industry itself will change, um, whether it rejects it and it just doesn't change or whether it does change a lot or takes some influence or whatever, like anything can change an industry really. And, um, at the end of the day as well, you know, there's no code jobs now where, and I, and I don't mean for developers. I mean, for there's people that just know how to use WordPress and they just use Elementor and they just use a page builder and they don't do anything else. They use a one-click installer on some sort of WordPress host and they don't know anything about web development and they just make websites for people. There's people that just make web flow things. So it's, again, it's one of those things where now there's, it's different opportunities because there's a lot of people out there that their site's perfect for a no-code tool, but they're not tech savvy at all. They don't want to touch it maybe. They don't know what an upload limit is. They don't know what it means to compress an image. They don't know these basics. They don't know what e-commerce means. They just want to sell stuff online. They have no idea. And so it's one of those, it's one of those things where it's, it, it's, the industry is just changing. You know, whether it changes for the better or the worse, I don't think no code's going to take your job. It might push you to be, have to work in a more complex position, but also maybe not. Maybe you're just going to be like, that's it. I'm just going to work as a no code developer. And you're going to use Webflow and like, whatever, like, who cares? Like, at least I don't care. It's like, if, it, if someone's going to pay you $10,000 to do a WordPress site, someone's going to pay you $10,000 to do a Webflow site, someone's going to pay you $10,000 to do a custom site. It's like, well, the Webflow and the WordPress ones in general, not always, but they're probably going to be faster to make and they're going to be easier for you to add functionality and they're going to be easier for you to, um, Manage scope creep if the, if like if if scope if the scope goes up within reason of course because you could go outside of the the realm of the no code tool but you know it's it's just a reality so the the industry is changing um, it always it always is and always will uh, and uh, that's just that's just the reality behind it and I mean there's still clockmakers out there right like there's it's like clockmakers were you know on the rage years ago when that was the only way to tell time now it's like we don't have these we don't have like many people don't have these very meticulously run mechanical clocks anymore, but that industry still exists. There's master clockmakers and stuff like that out there, and they and it's it, it is it niche now when it was mainstream before, yeah, but it's still a an evolution in that industry, and maybe they're now in, in, into antiquing and like they're the people that fix antiques and that whatever. All industries change. It's just what's going to happen. And it's best just to watch it and, and make your own decisions based upon the results and what, what's in front of your face and make the decision that's best for you that fits what you think is going to happen and not worry about the the constant like, oh, my God, no codes here and it's going to destroy everything. And then you're like, oh, my God, that's it. Like, it's like, what do you do? Like, I need to I need to become a scientist. I need a different job. Like, you're not going to you know, you're not going to do that. So just watch the industry, play into it if you can, and do what you can. And I don't think NoCode is going to take your job, at least not anytime soon. But that concludes this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed actually writing these show notes because I thought they were going to be very, very brief. And I actually had a lot to say because I've been using Webflow so much recently. 
So I hope that you enjoyed it. But um, before we end here, we want to thank our $3 tier patrons. Sean, or no, excuse me, Jesus Murphy, too used to doing it. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Tim from The Web Hacker via TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on SelfmadeWebDesigner.com. Bib Hashash from Nineblock Media via NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curry from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. And EduBloxians, game designed for kids via EduBloxians.com. I hope I did not miss anyone there. We're doing a, we have a brand new, uh, I, I always want to say platform, but it's a brand new procedure on how to have our intake and outtake of uh, Patreons or patrons or whatever. So I hope I didn't miss anyone there and I'll get used to this procedure soon, I'm sure. So it'll be a little bit smoother. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.